listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. We're continuing our series on burnout and what God has to say to us in the times when we reach our own limits. I was watching a nature documentary the other day, and you know that moment in a nature documentary when you see the cheetah lock on to a zebra? And you know that zebra's seconds are numbered. And that zebra can run as fast as he possibly can. He can juke as hard as he can, try to break that cheetah's ankles. He can hide, he can do whatever he can do, but no matter what he does, that zebra is about to eat it. He is about to die, and that cheetah is going to get him. Sometimes it feels like burnout can do that to us, or at least it feels that way to me. There's a reason we're talking about surviving burnout in this series and not avoiding burnout. I can come up here and tell you 10 steps to burnout-proof your life, and it probably sound pretty good. If you want to, I can probably do that, but the, the problem is I think that it would be mostly a lie. I don't, I don't think you can burnout-proof your life. Because the truth of the matter is, like that zebra, sometimes we can do everything right. We can take care of ourselves the best way we know how. We can have healthy boundaries. We can align our identity with God's calling, like we talked about last week. We can do all the stuff that we know to do, and we can still burn out on life. Even if you're doing everything right, there comes a time when we just get confronted by crisis. In my experience, crisis is going to burn you out faster than anything else. Which, if you ask me, it seems awfully unfair. It seems unfair that you can do everything right and, and be on, on, in sync with God and be self-aware and, and doing the things that you know you're supposed to do and still get burned out on life due to circumstances that are beyond your control. And there's a bunch of different definitions of crisis out there, but the definition of crisis that we're going to be working with today is this. A crisis is a situation in your life when your stressors become unavoidable. Crisis are those times in your life when you just cannot escape the things that are bringing you stress. No amount of vacation is going to take them away. No amount of distraction is going to stop you from thinking about them. No amount of caution can prevent it. You can do things that mitigate the effects of a crisis but you cannot stop a crisis. When your stressors are unavoidable, 
burnout comes fast. And then when crisis piles on top of crisis, piles on top of crisis, well, that just becomes a serious problem to our souls. The thing is, crisis happens to everybody. If you've managed to skate by in your life so far without a major crisis, congratulations, but it's going to happen. <laughs> You're like the zebra and life is like the cheetah. It's going to happen to you sooner or later. Nobody is more familiar in, in Scripture with crisis than Joseph. If you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph was just going about his life, minding his own business, when crisis upon crisis upon crisis happens to him through no fault of his own. Joseph didn't choose to be born his daddy's favorite son, and yet he was. His father gave him that beautiful coat of many colors. His brothers became jealous, and crisis number one happened. They sold him into slavery. And he was separated from his father's house, separated from everybody he knew, separated from everybody he, he loved and everything he owned. And he was moved to a foreign land, to Egypt, to work in slavery because of the jealousy of his brothers. That's a crisis if I've ever heard one. You cannot avoid your stressors in that. You can't avoid the fact that you were sold out by your own blood. You can't avoid the fact that you're in a place you don't know and you can't go back. You can't avoid the stressors in that situation. But he did the best he could. And he rose through the ranks of the slaves and became the head of Potiphar's household. Potiphar's a rich Egyptian guy and he managed all of Potiphar's affairs and he managed to carve out, despite the crisis, a pretty good life for himself. But then Potiphar's wife comes along. And notices he's a good-looking guy. And he has to turn her down, turn down her advances. And then she gets mad about being rejected. So she lies on him and sends him to jail. And that's where our scripture is going to pick up today. We're in Genesis chapter 39, verses 11 through 23. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work... And while no one else was in the house, she, being Potiphar's wife, caught hold of his garment, saying, Lie with me! But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. <coughs> Excuse me. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant who you brought among us came in here to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor and sight of the chief jailer. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, you know what? I said I was going to go through verse 23, didn't I? Let's pick back up. (laughs) The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever he was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. This is also the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So interestingly, the scripture doesn't tell us, he doesn't give us access to to what was going on in Joseph's mind, what he was thinking or feeling while he was sitting there in jail. And I don't know, maybe Joseph had so much faith that these stacking crises didn't stress him out all that much. Maybe he just was in a prison in a foreign land without a care in the world, trusting so much in God that it didn't faze him. But I kind of doubt that's true. (laughs) I kind of doubt that's what happened. Because Joseph is a human being. And I just can't believe that Joseph, in these crisis upon crisis upon crisis situations, didn't encounter some form of burnout sitting there in his prison cell. You can't tell me that he didn't lay awake at night in prison going over and over and over this situation with Potiphar's wife, kicking himself all the time. I can just imagine what he said. Maybe I should have just gone to bed with her. Nobody would have known, and I'd still be living easy. Maybe I should have just compromised. Or or maybe I should have never been alone with her. I should have seen that she was the only one in the house and just come back later and not put myself in that position. What was I thinking? Maybe he cursed Potiphar and his wife. What a horrible couple. I wish I'd never met those folks. I wish I'd never worked hard for them. I wish I'd have just put some money aside for myself and siphoned some off the top. Or maybe he went way back in time and said, if only my brothers had been halfway decent human beings instead of the so's and so's that they were, I never would have been in that situation in the first place. And I'd be sitting comfortable in my father's house with my fancy coat and I would not have to be dealing with this. You'll never convince me that Joseph didn't at least experience a period of burnout amidst all these crises. No good deed that he ever did went unpunished. No matter how well he performed, no matter how much he honored those in position of authority over him, no matter how morally he acted, crisis still found him. Crisis still brought him low. Our crises can do that too. You can have a health crisis when your body turns against you. You can be laid off even though you're a great employee. Maybe something happens with your kids and they get in trouble and you just can't, you can't control what your kids do. Maybe someone you love gets sick and you're thrust into the role of a caregiver. These are things you just can't get away from. You can't take a day off if your heart goes into heart failure. You can't take a break from that. You can't call in sick for a heartbroken kid. You can't tell your sick loved one that you're taking care of that you just need a personal day so they don't get to eat today. 
Sometimes you don't have a choice but to push through and keep going no matter what. And if you keep pushing and you keep going for long enough, you'll end up in a situation where you just feel burned out on life. And you don't know how you're going to keep going. And that leads to more problems because when we feel that burnout feeling, it causes health problems for us. And then you get enough stress and enough burnout in your life and you're cruising for a health problem too. Not only that, our whole world is emerging from a time of, of crisis for all of us. So any personal crisis that you're having right now is layered on top of the whole world's crisis of the pandemic, adding more stress and contributing to more burnout. And it's unavoidable. So where is God in the midst of all this burnout? Where is God in the midst of all this crisis? Why can't God just give us a break? We cannot crisis-proof our lives. We cannot avoid crisis and burnout. But there are some things that our faith can teach us about how to survive it well. I think there are four, four things we can take from Joseph that if we incorporate him into our lives, the next time crisis comes a-calling, the next time the cheetah pokes his head over the, over the hill and sees our poor little zebra selves, we can, we can remember what Joseph went through and we can apply these lessons and maybe we can survive our next crisis just a little bit better. So the first thing that I think we can learn from Joseph is that asking why is unhelpful. Now, I don't know if Joseph sat in his thing and asked God why me, but it doesn't record any questions of why, and it doesn't deal with any questions of why. And I think that's interesting. Joseph may or may not have questioned, but I think we can learn that, that asking ourselves why me or why would God allow this during times of crisis, doesn't help very much. First of all, what answer could possibly help you? If you're in the middle of a crisis and an angel comes down and says, let me explain to you exactly why this crisis, what, what answer would you be looking for that would help? Well, God needed you to suffer so that you could go help someone else through that suffering. Okay, well, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like a great answer to me. God needed you to learn a lesson. Well, couldn't God have taught me a different way? Mail me a textbook next time, God. I'll study it. I'll learn my lesson. Then I won't have to go through this. There's not a sufficient answer of why that really is going to help us during suffering. It's, it's unhelpful. The worst is when you're in the middle of crisis and you're in the middle of, of stress and then you're in the middle of burnout and breakdown and someone comes up to you and gives you some trite answer. You know, when you lost a loved one and, God's, and someone says, well, God just needed another angel. Ugh! No, I needed them. God, I, that's just, those trite answers are so bad, so unhelpful, so terrible. And you know what? God might have a reason, but knowing it in the moment of your crisis does not help. And so asking why isn't that helpful? 
God had a reason for Joseph to go through all these crises. God saved the whole nation of Israel before it had a chance to really form by giving the people someplace to go during a famine. He brought them to Egypt where Joseph had saved a bunch of food so that they made it through that famine. And Joseph's brothers and nephews and nieces who would become the nation of Israel, who were God's chosen people, survived that famine because all of these things happened to Joseph. But you can't tell me that sitting in that prison after being betrayed by Potiphar's wife, if an angel came down and said, Joseph, the reason is so that your family, who (laughs) sold you into slavery, could survive someday, I think if it was me, I probably would have said, let them starve, get me out of here. The answers to why are not satisfactory. And asking why in the middle of crisis, I just don't think it really helps. So that's the first thing I think we can learn, is that when we're in crisis asking why me or why would you do this, God, that's not a very helpful thing to do. So let's, instead of asking why, refocus on where is God? What is God doing? How is God seeing me through this? The second thing that Joseph learned was that he had to remain faithful. I think it shows us, it tells us in the scripture that even when he was in jail, he was faithful in the work that he was doing in prison, and it got him places. When he was in slavery, he was was faithful in the work that he had to do as a slave, and it got him places. Everywhere he went, He earned a place of responsibility because of how faithful he was to the work. Now, here's the thing about faithfulness that I want us to consider. Because when we're burning out, sometimes this this word of we need to stay faithful can just add yet another stressor onto our lives, right? But faithfulness does not equal productivity. Productivity. Faithfulness measures what you put into your work. Productivity measures what you get out of your work. And there's this, this feeling sometimes, especially in our, in our lives today, in the culture we have today, that we don't need to use our crises as an as a excuse to not be productive. We have to stay productive no matter what crisis happens. And that's not true. Sometimes crisis brings you so low that you just are scraping the bottle of the barrel of what you've got inside. And that's okay. Faithfulness means, it's almost like the widow's might. You remember that story, that parable from Jesus. The the widow only had one penny to give and yet she gave it to God. And she gave more than the rich person who gave a bunch of money. When we're in times of crisis and we're scraping the bottom of our emotional and physical barrels, if we take what was left and give it to God, that is more faithful than as if we were as productive as the richest, easiest going person out there. I I had learned this lesson the hard way. When Sarah Beth first had her heart problems, she was in the hospital struggling with with her ejection fraction in her heart being 20%. And I had two or three different preachers that week call me and say, hey, Matt, do you want me to cover for you this Sunday? I'll I'll lead worship for you. I'll I'll, I'll preach for you. And I said, no, I think I'm just going to go. I've already got this sermon written. I'm just going to preach. 
It was stupid. I thought that me being faithful means that I had to produce a worship service, right? I had to be productive in my job, even though I was in the midst of crisis. So I showed up, and y'all, I'm confident in telling you that I preached the worst sermon of my life. I got there, and uh, I had Roger with me. The girls were with my parents, but I, I had Roger. And uh, Roger had been passed around to so many different people while I was at the, at the hospital with Sarah Beth. He would not go to the nursery. He was like three years old. And so I tried to take him to the nursery. He cried and put his hands up. And, and I was like, and I was not in the emotional place to leave him in the nursery. And so I was like, he's my boy. I'll take him. We don't know what's going on. So I, I carried my son while I was going, leading the, the songs and leading the prayer. And I was holding him the whole time. And then finally, right before the sermon started, our good friend Kelly coaxed him away to Children's Church so I was able to preach without holding Roger the whole time. But I was in no shape to preach. And that sermon didn't turn out very well. The whole worship service suffered because I couldn't let go of my desire to be productive because I, I confused faithfulness with productivity. God calls us to be faithful in what we put in. But he does not call us necessarily to always be productive. And sometimes when we insist during the midst of crisis on productivity, we lose our faithfulness. Because the faithful thing for me to do would have been to let that go so that my congregation could have had a better worship experience and so that I could have focused on my family like I should have. That would have been the faithful thing for me to do, but I just I insisted on productivity over faithfulness. No matter where Joseph was, he was faithful. But you can't tell me that the day one in prison, he was being productive. Day one in slavery, he was productive. He had to build up to that productivity. He couldn't, he didn't achieve it right away. And so during times of crisis, God calls us to faithfulness, everything that we've got for him, but he does not expect productivity and it's wisdom to learn the difference. Be faithful with what you've got in your tank, but levels of productivity during times of crisis can fluctuate greatly and that's okay. You can give yourself the grace and permission to fluctuate. So the first lesson that we learn is that it's, it's, it's not helpful to ask why. The second lesson that we learn is that God calls us for, to be faithful during times of crisis, but not necessarily productive. The third lesson that we learn from Joseph is that you cannot go back. You can only go forward. Scripture does not record Joseph trying to escape slavery to go back home to where he was from. He couldn't make it. He didn't plan a jailbreak to try to get back to Potiphar. He couldn't make it. And if he would, did, it wouldn't do him any good. So often, we waste our energy and our effort to burn out even harder by trying to, either in the midst of crisis or after crisis, trying to get our life back to the way things were before. But we cannot go back to pre-crisis life. We cannot go back to pre-crisis self. We can only move forward. Like Joseph didn't try to go back and regain his job at Potiphar. 
He didn't try to run away and go back home. He patiently trusted that God had a future for him, and he was very slowly moving forward into it. We cannot recreate our pre-crisis lives or our pre-crisis selves. We can only move forward with God into the new thing that he is doing next. And we are able to move forward with hope because of the fourth thing. And that's simply that the Lord was with him. So we don't ask why. We remain faithful, but we don't confuse that faithfulness with productivity. We can't go back. We can only go forward. And we can know that in the midst of our worst crises, that God is with us. God, in his wisdom, does not always get us out of crisis, but he always walks through our crisis with us. And he gives us grace along the way. Y'all, this is why the incarnation of Jesus is such an important teaching, right? Because God became a human in the flesh. And he experienced all the things that humans experience. Jesus went from crisis to crisis. He dealt with other people's crises by healing them and teaching them. But then he went through his own crisis of the crucifixion. God could have stayed up in heaven and pitied us from a distance. Man, those humans just can't get their lives together. They just keep going through these crises. Too bad for them. But he didn't. He came unto earth in human form and experienced crisis for himself. Jesus knows what it's like to burn out. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane when he's sweating teardrops of blood because he's so anxious about what's coming next. You can't tell me that wasn't a burnout. Jesus knows what it's like to have stressors that you cannot escape from. He knows what you're going through, and he's going to go through it with you. So we need to be intentional about communing with Jesus. Genesis 39, chapter 21 says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. So no matter what crisis you're going through, no matter what crisis you will go through, the Lord is with you, and he is showing you steadfast love. Crisis is important because it invites us to embrace both the far-off mystery of God, whose reasons why we can't even comprehend, and also the intimate closeness of God who walks in the midst of these things with us. His ways are above our ways. His reasons are outside of our comprehension. And yet his spirit and his person and his grace are closer to us than our next breath. When crisis comes, even when we do everything right and still burn out on the circumstances of life, we can take comfort in the fact that we serve a God whose omnipotence is above our pay grade and whose love is never out of our reach. The God who created the cosmos, who has the whole world in his hands, cares about what you are going through. 
tiny and insignificant though you may be. So I don't know where you are right now. Maybe you're in the middle of a crisis right this second. Maybe you're recovering from one that happened in the recent past. Maybe you can think of a crisis that might be coming down the pike that's just a heartbeat away. Or maybe you're living on cloud nine and you can't imagine what could possibly come up that could burst your bubble. No matter what, though, our faith can see us through times of crisis. God is with us and he is showing us our steadfast love. Our God gives us hope that this crisis we're in won't last forever. That the God who will create a new heaven and a new earth will do it one day. And until then, he will hold our hand and walk through these times with us. So I don't know where you've been or where you are, but I can trust in a room full of this size, there's crises abounding. <laughs> so if you're in the middle of crisis and you need someone, I want to invite you to come to the altar today and seek out the face of God. If you need to know that God's steadfast love is with you, come and meet with him today at the altar. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we know that sometimes through no fault of our own, even if we're doing everything right, crisis can still visit us. And God, we know that even if we put on a good front and seem like we're okay on the outside, on the inside, we can be flailing. God, I pray that you will help us to seek your face out in the midst of crisis, that we won't use these events as excuses to run away from you, but rather we will run toward you into your arms, trusting that your steadfast love will be there. Show us, God, to have faith like Joseph. Show us that we can have grace for ourselves, grace for those around us, and that we can be as faithful as we can be and trust that your faithfulness will be there for us in return. Bless us, Father. I pray for those who are in the midst of crisis right now. Maybe it's something that everybody knows about. Maybe it's some secret crisis they don't, that they're not sharing. But I pray for each person that's in crisis in this place. Show up for them, Father. Show them your glory and your goodness and your steadfast love. And show us as a church ways in which we can be a soft place to land for people as they experience crisis in their lives. That we may support and lift up rather than judge and push away. Show us your face today, Father. In your name I pray. Amen.